when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, May 7th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 154. I am your host, Austin Walker. Joining me today, Danielle Riendo. Hi, it's nice out today. It's beautiful. It is. Like, this is, I, we, we kind of been doing good weather check ins lately because it's getting to be <laughs> nice weather time. But this is like, I, I'm happy with this weather. It's great. Yeah. Uh, also joining me, I don't know how the weather, I heard it was hot up there, Rob, Rob Zachney, in Boston all weekend. Yeah, it was extremely warm and uncomfortable and terrible. It is all hovering between 70 and 50 today, so like I'm I'm living it. Patrick Klepek also also joining us today on the phone. Hello. On the phone, on the on the yeah, the, 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 the telephone. Sure. Uh-huh. Whatever you want to call it. I call it an internet telephone. That's what I call it. That's what IT stands for, you know. Internet telephone. How's everybody doing today besides it's nice out? It's all right. I mean, very enthusiastic <laughs> response. Let's get some energy up in here. I'm going to need to hold a fucking pep rally. I took a sip of water to get someone else would chime in. And then Danielle just sounded like she was drowning as she responded. <laughs> God, great. I love On it. On this, the week of Donkey Kong, no less. <laughs> like, that's the best you can do. We talked Donkey Kong on Friday, so she's already got the Donkey Kong. She's already got the, all the Kong out of her system. I mean, know? I have a few more bonus levels to uh, to find. I guess there's there a little more Donkey Kong in my system. A little more there Donkey in my blood, you know? Yeah I, yeah, I guess I know. Does anyone else ever have any Donkey in their blood? Is that a thing? <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's new to me, but um, I would say, like, I have learned a lot about funkiness uh, since starting to play Tropical Freeze. Oh, are you playing <gasps> it, too? You're playing it? Yeah, uh, oh I just God. like I just started playing it, um, but I'm a little concerned because I see things, but I can't get to them, mm-hmm. and then I can still complete the level. Oh, that's normal. But it's like, hey, there it's were these okay. things that you saw and you couldn't get to them. Yeah, but I feel like I failed every time I complete a level because uh, it's like I didn't complete Kong. Right. Like, I, got I, OMG. I, would, I would recommend giving up on like <laughs> I like not. Like, I've actually chosen to do that as someone that, like, normally is into collectibles in these sorts of games, and I I don't like the way this game implements them, and I found it's better just to just kind of enjoy, like, you'll get plenty of joy out of the level design if you just get what you can kind of get, be satisfied with that, and then just keep moving forward, because... That's great, Patrick. I'm going to put you in touch with my therapist, and, uh, <laughs> like, I think that's that's a good direction for me to go, and... You're going to be, uh, I'm just, you're going to be frustrated, like, if you go to any sort of completionist tendencies, because this game, like, is... Uh-oh. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy it. Let me offer a counterpoint. Rob, this game is so good that it's actually worth you spending time finding the extra stuff, because 
it's not just like doodads and bullshit that you get. I forget if it's the con letters or the puzzle pieces. It's one or the other. It's look it both. up. Well, look it up in terms of what actually gets you bonus levels. Oh. I forget exactly. Oh, God, but there are actual content? bonus levels, like the real thing that you want. So, like, enjoy yourself, pace yourself, don't hurt yourself. But like, look up the one that's actually going to give you bonus levels and and go for that one because it, they are so good. They're really good. What makes what yeah. type of what are the bonus levels like? Is it just like I know in Mario you kind of get some like bonus levels that are really hard. Uh, in Mario games, it's kind of a, a thing. I'm curious what the what are Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze bonus levels like? <laughs> They're really good. I mean, so there's bonus levels that are uh, you find by doing secret exits, and those are really beautiful. Uh, Patrick talked about them a little bit uh, on Friday, but they're sort of silhouette levels, and they all take place in this like gorgeous. You can kind of see the outline of Donkey Kong, but everything is sort of shadowed, and it's oh my god, it's really really cool and beautiful. Um, and then there are these sort of bonus levels you get by collecting everything. Uh, and again, I forget if it's puzzle pieces or the Kong letters because I haven't gotten all of them yet uh, in my current playthrough, but I got most of them in my previous playthrough of the game a few years ago. And they are, they're just extra levels. They're just, they tend to be pretty difficult, actually. I mean, this entire game is difficult. It's not an easy game by any means. But I wonder if Funky Mode, it's worth, uh, it's worth trying that in Funky Mode. I'll, I'll, I'll just start a new game file today. I'll start a fourth game file today and I'll report back. Yeah, I was confused by that, like... Because it seems like funky mode would be the better experience, because, like, who doesn't want to be more funky? Um, but, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it, it's not the original experience. It's not the definitive tropical freeze that you've been talking about as long as I've known you, Danielle. Uh, so <laughs> you've like, known me before tropical freeze. That's true. The game isn't as old. I always think, like, Donkey Kong <laughs> tropical... Like, I have not paid attention to Donkey Kong since... What was the technology in the SNES days that we were all excited about? Oh, the Mode 7? <laughs> no, the FX it was chip or... Silicon Graphics? Was that it? Well, but uh, that was that was just a... Uh, there's a lot of there, bullshit there, terms. There was no special chip <laughs> in the Donkey Kong Country cartridge. But Mode 7 what? is the one that actually had a modified cartridge. I don't believe that Donkey Kong... Donkey Kong Country, I believe, had a lar- like It might have been the largest cartridge in order to fit the, the graphics, but I don't think there was anything special happening with um, the ability for it to display... Because, like, the CG was just 2D. It was 3D stuff, like, turned into a 2D Into sprite. a sprite. Yeah. So that was all lies. Yeah. yeah pretty much. Yep. Oh, it's still lies. a great game. You know, like, you can't <laughs> trust the Kong. Uh, he'll lie to you every fucking time, let me tell you. I don't, I don't understand so much about the Donkey Kong mythos. Like, so much I don't understand in terms of... Okay, so... When did the Penguin War please. start? Okay. What, good question. It all started. That started. That's actually the new one. Well, you that actually all know in Tropical. Of course, I know. These are like my favorite games ever. Uh, that one started in Tropical Freeze, so four years ago. Like the yeah. Penguin War stuff is like the new stuff. It was always previously the Kremlings, which remember King K. Rule. The big is that a Russia guy. thing? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure, and maybe I'm making this up, but you know, whatever. Uh, that it's like a lizard brain, monkey brain thing. That it was always like your lizard no, 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 brain, no. your previous brain. I meant the brain. word Kremlin. Is that like a oh. Kremlin joke? <laughs> it probably is. If you if you find out <laughs> compromising information on Donkey Kong, is it called compromat? Compromatia. Where's 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 P tape Kong? Where's he? Where's he? Where's I'm he? I'm sure we could find the Kong <laughs> yeah, who pisses or who funky mode. You know, Pee Kong. Gonna... Is there PP Kong? Uh, more real. Okay, here's a real question. Here's a real, uh, actual, real question about the lore. 
I understand that Cranky Kong is the original Donkey Kong. Mm -hmm. I understand that Donkey Kong in Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze is Cranky Kong's grandson, correct? It's either that or his son. I, I you know, it's my, a little bit my of question is not about the family tree at all. Actually, okay. my okay. my question is, how much time has there been between the original Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Country, and is Mario? Are all the Mario games before in the past of Donkey Kong Country then, or does Mario not age? Mario doesn't age because I don't think he's human. But so he has spent the last. Or does does Cranky Kong age quickly? I think Cranky Kong ages quickly because I'm pretty sure. Don't don't. uh, How long do apes don't gorillas age more quickly than humans? Like I think they become sexually mature at like a younger age than we do. So I think they age a little bit more quickly than us. Don't they? I mean, I just suspect the life cycle of the great eight is probably not a useful guide to <laughs> what the fit We're familial using dynamics here, Rob. Of... We're using science. Wait, why? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just looking for I'm just asking the questions here, Rob. You know, I'm just putting out. I'm just asking the questions that everyone wants to know. How yeah. long does a gorilla live? And, and then I'll put in parentheses. Is it longer than Mario? Question mark. Okay. All right, let's use science here today. Uh, gorillas live for like fifty years, forty so, to fifty years, thirty-five to shorter. fifty years. Yeah, so okay, much shorter than a human up. lifespan. Right. So I wasn't completely bananas. All right, here's a follow-up. Here's a follow-up. Yes. Mario is no longer a plumber, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. I think I just cracked the fucking case because Mario also looks like way more fashionable in Mario Odyssey. He, yeah, he, he, looks, he wears all those different outfits. He, he shows feels, his nipples. Yeah, he shows you know? his nipples, which is a very millennial thing to do. I think Mario might what? be Benjamin Buttoning. Oh, he's getting he's not. It's not that he isn't a plumber. It's that he isn't a plumber yet. But he's also a baby sometimes. Right, that's in the far future when he's the okay. tiniest he is. I see. So Yoshi's Island takes place in the far future. Right. But and it came out the that, same year as Donkey Kong Country 2, Diddy's Conquest, ex- 1995. Cranky Kong is an old man, which means yes. that time, those they actually line up perfectly. Yes. Yes. I think it all, all comes we together. Thank you for... for I'm Finally, I can care about Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. <laughs> I found my lore. angle in lore. <laughs> God. But yeah, like I like it is definitely a cool game. Uh, yes, I am struggling to master the various modes of movement that mm. the Kong family unlocks over the course of the game, and depending on like what their context is, like right, uh, that's all very cool. But yeah, like I'm having trouble. Uh, like I, I just don't have the makeup. I think to get to that place of acceptance that patrick is describing where like i can just enjoy the fucking game and then if i want to go back and like chase those uh you know exploratory goals so for one let me just clarify because i did some research in real time thank you thank, thank you, you patrick thank that's you. why you're a great journalist you can ignore safely all the puzzle pieces all you get for all your trouble this is not the research i was hoping for i was hoping for more research in the right. extras. So it's, it's the puzzle pieces, or sorry, the Kong letters that mean something, that actually unlock things. So yeah, so like the secret yeah. exits, those are interesting. Those yes. get you cool levels. The the Kong things, which are relatively easy to get, like all told, although really bothers me that you have to collect them all over again through a level. Like if you get three of them, the Ooh. game doesn't save yes. that. You have to go and yes. do it again, which is True. terrible. That's an awful way to handle that. That is not what you should be doing. <laughs> like it, it actually That's the most unfunky thing ever. 
it made me not want to to seek them out because I was like, oh, I don't get rewarded for finding it the first time. If I come back to this level 10 hours from now, I have to do it all over again? Like, nah. Like, that's not the way this is supposed to work, video game. Um, <laughs> and then you can you can ignore the puzzle pieces. And if I, if I could turn them off, I would. Um, because then when I... Even though I know they're worthless, if I get six of seven, I am annoyed that I made it to the end and I haven't gotten seven, but I've just made peace with it and I'm just... Otherwise, I won't finish the game. Like otherwise, I'm 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 gonna get State of K two is gonna come out. I'm just gonna move on to that, and I'd like to see more of this. And so, like, I'm just accepting that I don't like its implementation of collectibles, and just like moving forward to see more of what the game has. That's fair. I I just really want both of you to finish the game. Like whether or not you see all the extra stuff. Like the level design, especially in the last world, is just, oh my god, it's so good. It's so good. So I just I just want you to get there. I just want you to have fun and enjoy it. Enjoy the did, Kong. Embrace the Kong. I did really like. I've, I encountered my first. I finished the first world, and uh, nice. uh, I, I encountered the first. They call them like dash K levels, which is uh, basically the way those stages work. Is that uh, they remove uh, checkpoints from the game, and it's the first time the game made me actually sweat uh, in a way that like I, I actually mumbled to myself when I made it uh, three fourths through one of the levels, and it got really hairy. Like. Did, like, the very cheesy, like, oh, you fucking for real? All right, let's do this game. Like, I said that out loud earlier today in a way that, like, the, the, the platforming is, like, really, really touchy and you can die quickly and it gets, uh, it, I wouldn't call it Super Meat Boy, but it, it definitely, the as someone that plays a lot of these games and wouldn't necessarily consider this game to be, like, super difficult, but I'm saying that from, like, an elitist platformer position, like, like I'm, I'm staking out, like, where I am on that scale, um... Like, those K-levels are really satisfying because they're a little bit more of what I'm looking for, which is the game just, like, kicking me in the, the balls and saying, like, nah, you're actually not good enough. And like, I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. fine. Yeah, get to that last world. You'll you'll have a good time. It <laughs> sounds like a threat almost. God. No, it's a threat of happiness. <laughs> okay, yeah, that yeah, that adds up. Okay. Uh, is anyone playing something that doesn't involve uh, any sort of lore at all? No lore, just no, no, nothing. Yeah, so I've been playing um, a ton of uh, BattleTech, which is, okay. as well, we know, a sui generis <laughs> tactics game uh-huh. uh, with no connections to anything outside the text <laughs> of the game itself. And you definitely don't need to know anything about the BattleTech universe to enjoy it. No, not at all. Uh, so yeah, um, we've both I've, been continuing to play that game, both for streams. We just did one this morning, actually this Monday morning. Uh, but on off off camera, also I think I'm getting I'm probably in my fiftieth hour of my no I'm in my fortieth hour or something of my main playthrough, and then you started the new playthrough, right? Yeah, uh, and I eventually just completely bailed on uh, my my old playthrough because the, the new playthrough was going so damn well. Um, and also, I need to tell like. I need to tell you about my setup, y'all. <laughs> yeah? I have been, li- like, I feel I have never felt more like a king than when I am playing Battletech, streaming it from my gaming rig to my laptop, oh. while watching basically every single hockey playoff game and most of <laughs> uh, the NBA playoffs as well uh, on DVR. Like, so skipping commercials. Huh. Like okay. I am just, right. I am just feasting on on good, entertaining <laughs> um, stuff. Rob content. Yeah, and it's like it is amazing. Like I was, I was playing through some really tense, like, uh, you know, 
nail biters of battles uh over the, you know in battle tech while at the same time like for instance uh you know the sixers are imploding in the most horrific and painful <laughs> fashion possibly <laughs> possible uh against the Celtics uh for instance so it's been it's been real good and it's completely changed. Like I don't have to choose between sports and PC games anymore. They can live <laughs> together. I can have my tactics games while watching tactics games. That is, uh, that is honestly living the dream in a way that I cannot imagine. So is there, is there, have you made mistakes because you've been so distracted by, uh, by stuff that's going on in sports? Have you ever, have you ever walked a light? I mean, I got to right? invest in the Pelicans, uh, for sure. Okay, Wait, what? Well, that's a mistake right there, isn't it? <laughs> and then the Sixers and then the, and then the Raptors too. I'm sorry, but, and also the Sixers fans are so expressive. Like there's something <laughs> like that entire crowd. Somehow that seems to be the most heart on sleeve arena in the NBA. And um, it's Philly, yeah, well, listen, it's, been Philly, a, it's been a nightmare team yes. for like the better part of ten years. And, like, and we Philly got the Eagles last year, right? And so now it feels like anything is possible, right? If Nick Foles could do it, anybody oh, can. Oh, Big Dick Nick! That's what I'm saying. You know, if only Big Dick Nick also played for the 76ers. I keep, you know, he'd probably do okay out there. The 76ers. The 70 no. Dixers, exactly. No, okay. Now, I'm going to eject. Speaking of Battletech, I'm going to eject. Um, Battletech has yeah. been, like, such a... There, I, I'm i doing my best not to over... Just talk too much about Battletech, not just in this moment, but in general right now, because I really, really like that game. Um, I think that I didn't say across our conversation about it, Rob, across bringing it up on the kind of regular podcast episodes, and I haven't even said it on, like, Twitter yet, is just... It is a game that I want to be playing, and that is a thing that is, like, that can be really hard to achieve sometimes, in that, like, it's rare that a game is like, this is all I want to do. All I want to do is yes. play this game. Um, normally, I get to play, I have that for, like, or I have, like, oh, yeah, I want to play the game for a couple of hours. Like, I'm playing Stardew right now in uh, in multiplayer, and I can talk about that a little bit in a second, because I think it's interesting. Um, but... I'm enjoying it, and I'm like, okay, let's put aside a couple hours tonight to play some Stardew uh, co-op, and, like, that's nice, but when I start playing Battletech, I just want the rest of my night to just disappear and for it to only be Battletech and just focus in on it, and I want to, like, I'm getting close to the end of that game. I have, like, a couple, like, three or four more missions, story missions to go, but I just don't want to do them. I just want to do side stuff. I just want to keep playing the game. I, I want to tinker in the mech lab. I want to, like, read more lore update things. I want to, like, see what happens if I start trying to play the different factions to gain better reputation with them. Like, I want to dig into all of these little side systems, and that is genuinely a pretty rare thing for me. Like, it happens once, maybe twice a year. Um, you know, you can kind of count whatever my number one game is in a year to be that, but even sometimes not really. There have definitely been years where my number one game has not been something that has the sort of all I want to do is play this game effect on me because there's so many cool things out there that, like, it's easy for me to just be, like, to be not cynical about it, but, like, to wind up being pretty detached, but BattleTech is like all I want to do is run another mission. Even when I even when it's four a.m., that's all I want to do. And I haven't been doing that actually. I've been like being an adult about it. But I go to bed every night wishing I had more time to play more BattleTech. Do you I, have like uh, a stuffed mech that you can like cuddle? I don't have any stuff. I would nice. love a plush. It's weird. I'm, I'm like that would be really that would be really a plush mech would be nice. Um, yeah. I don't have any mech shit in this room at all. Now that I'm oh. looking around, I've I, seen honestly, ben I think Claw over there in a different room, but not here. It would be. It would have been good for that franchise if 
they figured out sort of a cute take on it for like like because I think it, like everything is so industrial looking yeah. in BattleTech, but like I'm at a stage in my life where like man, if there were like an adorable caricature of like. Yeah, a timber wolf. It's a timber wolf, right? A, it has to be a timber yeah, wolf, basically. or catapult. Yeah, like I would be, I would be super uh, into that. But yeah, I, like this game just came out. I am sixty hours into it, um, which is like kind of not how I play games anymore. Plus it's not the how... like seven or eight hours of us playing together on my account. Right, and like, so I am so into this, and even the like semi-random missions that I'm getting through the contracts, I'm having really memorable, dramatic yeah. battles in that stuff too. It's not just the story missions; it's like you never know when you're going to have that special battle tech session uh, that's going to like leave you like you know pumping your fist, uh, you know, in your chair because like you got away with one there. Yep. Um, okay, it's, I just, it's one last thing. Saying, go, go ahead. I have more to say, so you go ahead. Okay. Also, like, I also don't do this very often, but, like, I generally, and maybe it's just the the Austin Walker, Waypoint, OC, greater fiction Hell thing yeah. sort of rubbing off on me. Yes. But, <laughs> so I, I finally got hold of a trebuchet. For whatever uh-huh. reason, I'd never gotten that drop. Like, everyone else is, has. For people who don't know, trebuchets are, like, built to be kind of really long-range missile mechs, right? Yeah. Uh, they're reasonably maneuverable, very light armor, and they just, like, shellac their targets with, like, long-range missiles. Uh, And it just is, like, just torrents of chip damage, but also they do stability damage, which causes mechs to fall over, yada, yada, yada. So I finally got one of those. And I immediately upgraded the, like, the LRM-15s. I took off some of the other armaments, because I'm like, you're not going to be anything but a long-range missile. Right, just double down. Yeah. And then the character I put in it, because I had a lot of severe injuries after I did Smithen. Mm-hmm. Uh, rest in peace, Decker. Uh, again. <laughs> yep. um, but so I made a lot of new hires. And one of my characters is like this ex-Capellan surf uh, who, you know, escaped the Confederation and basically like became like an IT worker for never like in their in their background, like basically they did like really low level like uh like Comstar type work, but they weren't right. like Comstar initiates. They were just like the people they're contractors, who, basically. Yeah, basically they're people who hooked up your cable in space and shit like that. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what they did. Uh but anyway, so they're the like they became the trebuchet driver. And I am finding myself like uncovering a character and a persona with this <laughs> with, with this character hot dog uh, great name. because First of all, a great name yeah. that's the name that an it operator no offense to anyone who's an it but someone who's like i'm a space operator i'm like an it person for for the internet of space but like is thrust into becoming a fucking hotshot mech pilot and like are you gonna have a call sign what's your call sign uh, uh hot dog hot dog my name's hot you can call me hot dog Liked Battlestar Galactica a lot. Uh, but got really <laughs> oh, yeah. attached to some characters. Uh, anyway, so their approach, though, be the combination of the name, the backstory, the really affectless delivery of the the lines, basically paints this like workmanlike picture of who this pilot is. And so all they do is they get behind the biggest rock they can in every mission. <laughs> <laughs> and punch in targeting data from their landsmates. Uh, 
and just like blast the ever living shit out of enemy mechs, like twice their weight, just like turn after turn, just like firestorms of uh, these LRMs that cause critical damage, uh, high, have a high chance of critical damage. So like once armor has chip, been chipped open, it's like time to feast. These missiles right. just start like ripping out components right and left. It's amazing. Right. And so the picture that's like formed in my head is like hot dog is this really cold blooded, like class revolutionary warrior of like, yes, the mech is like this entrenched like symbol of aristocracy and like militarism and hot dog. Don't give a shit about any of it. Hot dog just like goes plants that fucking mech behind a boulder and just starts punching in numbers and people start dying and they die in droves. I love the notion of punching in numbers too. Like there was something really great about the internet. Like you could imagine them being up in a Comstar satellite plug, like be doing the job of like a 1910s early like uh, phone operator of just like yep. plugging things in, except now it's like plugging things, you know, pushing the buttons to, to kind of dial in these, these uh, indirect artillery strikes. Perfect. Good. Love it. Yeah. And so that's like, well, and that's welcome, the only Rob. way hot dog can play now. Like right. hot dog's not going to be in any You're other sort of mech. You're never going to put hot dog in a mech that is like a close up brawler or something. No, because right. hot dog isn't in this to like, hot dog doesn't believe in any of this like mech warrior mystique bullshit. Right. Like hot dog has sort of the cold blooded, like mercilessness of like an English longbowman. Right. It like Agincourt for, you know right. what I mean? Something right. like that. Just like, I don't give a shit. This, I there's do not no care honor who here. You I'm are. trying to fucking kill you and collect a paycheck and yep. like, and dethrone this shitty noble. Yeah. Love it. That's very good. My, my little like added bits about, about Battletech actually don't have as much, as much flair or flavor, unfortunately. Not, not because I haven't had great characters like that, because I have, but like the thing, the two things I want to hit. One is just like, if you haven't heard, if you're curious, if this conversation makes you curious about Battletech, one, we've done a lot of streaming. A lot of that's up at YouTube. A lot of it's up on our Twitch. Uh, and then if you haven't listened to the Rob and I, uh, podcast the review podcast for that game you should because it is us at our most nerdy bullshit like rob does the read of the of the review and then we talk for like an hour and compare notes and exchange stories about different battles and 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 why the game is good um but but the other the other two things one i wanted to say really clearly for people who like haven't played it um or who like feel intimidated as i've seen more people play the game and find their footing with it as i've seen it find greater success it's given me a lot of hope that people who like xcom could play this game with just a few tips. Um, we've had some great people write in and say, like, watching us play has helped their play a little bit. Not that we're great at it, but, like, we intuitively mm. know some rules because we've been playing, because we've been in that universe for a long time. Um, and I think there are, like, a handful of, like, big picture things around, like, how, you know, you're, it's not about putting your, your character in cover the way it is in XCOM and, and how, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to, like, make sure you put a lot of damage on one target when they pop up. Stuff like that is, is stuff that, like, I've seen people say I didn't think this game was for me, and then I watched some streams, either ours or other people's, and like found the found the language in a sense to kind of play along uh, and really enjoy it. So that's been great. Um, but the second thing I wanted to talk about was today's stream, really briefly, which was just, and I think it's just an illustration of why I keep coming back to this game. We did an early mission. There's an early mission where you fight like a space pirate who has like your first heavy mech that you're going up against. 
Um, mechs and Battletech are broken up into classes, light, medium, heavy, and uh, assault class, very heavy, like super heavy mechs. Um, and those are all, if you played, if you played Mech Assault, if you played Mech Warrior, it's like that same division between little tiny guys that run around and don't have a lot of, don't have a lot of, uh, uh, guns or, or missiles, but can like spot for the other big ones and lock on for you and kind of be your, your scout, uh, or, or kind of harass and, and make other enemies a little easier to hit. Um, two big ones that are just like walking goliaths that will just tear everything apart in front of you. And we were playing the mission on stream today where you go up against your first real heavy mech. And Rob has played that mission twice before. I've played it once before. And it's played out in a way that was so unique compared to how we normally play it out. And there is a degree of expressivity in the movement, in the ways in which the the you know, there's lots of hexes. There's lots of there's lots of spots on the lots of like nodes on the map where you can stand in comparison to something like XCOM. And I love XCOM too. We're gonna play more of that tomorrow. But like the there are certain fights in XCOM two that play out where there's a clearly an ideal play. There's ideally a, a like here is the way I want to play it. Um and obviously some some Battletech fights also have that sort of like, okay, what we should do is set up blah blah blah. But because there's such a differentiation between your individual mechs and their mech warrior pilots, uh, because they're so unique, what you roll into battle with can really d- change things. But even in this fight where we had probably the same loadout that we've always had in this fight across our three other like, encounters with it, it played out differently where this, this giant mech kept trying to get behind one of our smaller ones and hit it in the back. And we had this like really funny kind of leapfrogging that in eventually. Reverse. In reverse, yeah, totally. Um, it was like backwards leapfrogging until finally we took this thing down. Uh, and it's just like, it, I've said, I said in, the, in our kind of big review pod about it that, you know, the thing I love about Into the Breach, a game that I think all of us here have now put some time into, <laughs> is how predictable it is and how like you end up being, you end up kind of chore- uh, choreographing a really fun and, and elegant solution to various problems. Uh, Battletech goes so far in the opposite direction and says, like, there's actually lots of joy in randomness because the randomness is so much higher than, like, something, not in terms of damage, but in terms of, like, there's lots of variables that can fire. It's not just do you shoot the guy. It's like, do you, where do you shoot the mech? Do you knock off one of its legs? Do you do a critical hit on, like, a place where there's some ammo? And, and you can, like, you can fudge the odds based on your choices, but at some point you're going to roll the dice. And there have been so many times when you get a surprising outcome where the little mech gets the surprise crit on like the little storage, the little storage component filled with missiles and the missiles blow up and take out the cockpit where you're like, you just get excited in that way that I used to get excited for XCOM, uh, enemy, enemy, um, unknown when that first came out, when that, when your character like raises their gun, are they going to hit or not? And I haven't really had that since, since then because it's become so used, it's become, I'm become so used to it. But seeing now again how like you just get that, that little, that little tingle at the back of your neck, you're like, ooh, how's this going to go? Let's see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that so much. And it's such a, it's such a nice supplement to Into the Breach, which doesn't give you that how is this going to go so much as it gives you a like, how the fuck can I figure this out? You know, this is what's so funny to me because I'm like I've got a lot of friends and people I would not normally expect to be like I really thought I'd be alone on this one, right? Like I I was mm-hmm. I really thought BattleTech would be a thing that like you know only eighties and nineties kids like uh-huh. this old ass tactics game and everyone else <laughs> would be like what the fuck, uh, but it's really like landing for a lot of people I was not expecting. But I think one thing that's really pleasing to me is that it is reminding me like. 
the direction in tactics games has been to get to decisive outcomes faster and faster and faster. So, like, right. in XCOM, if you get a flanking move on somebody, it's not a small modifier. It is a massive modifier. Like, that's going to swing the possibilities completely in your favor for how hard you're going to hit somebody and the likelihood you're going to make contact. Uh, you know, Into the Breach is, like, almost the logical conclusion of this, where everything is, like, predetermined, provided you can just, like, make the right moves. Um the generation that BattleTech is descended from, and a lot of like, war, like tabletop war game design and traditional war game design, even RPGs of the era, are the same way. If you look at like Cyberpunk twenty twenty, it's going yeah. where you're about to say. Yeah, it's all about the like this outcomes through like accretion of variables and yeah. randomness, but it all happens very slowly. So like, you know, when you look at like you know those pictures of war gamers in the seventies, like with those massive like you know tabletop setups of like the invasion of France or whatever, and they're calculating all these like you know variables together, like what, what are the weather conditions today, how many units are firing on this hex, and how many are, what's the return fire going to look like, and they do that all again, and it makes a tiny little little difference and then you have to do it all again the next turn the numbers have changed a little bit and the dynamics have changed a little bit and it's all very like justly so that was like found to be really ponderous and people have gotten away for it they want like games have generally been moving in a snappier direction Battletech is reminding me what is cool about those like more Mm. accretional tactics games where like no it's not all just finding one good position in one turn and just letting you know the odds work in your favor, and just like cleaning house the way it is in XCOM, this is a you have to like get a little bit of an edge, and then it's like you just got your you know you got a crowbar and a door frame, and you're just working it back and forth <laughs> trying to like pry victory loose, totally. and that is really satisfying in a way that like, and it's not an either or thing. Like XCOM, right. I still love Tactical Tuesdays of XCOM, but it is reminding me what is so cool about this kind of tactics game. Totally. Well, like I, so I came up playing tabletop RPGs of this of this line of descent, and like now I play a completely different kind because that other kind sucks. Like it's frustrating. I I played. I again, I used to play Cyberpunk twenty twenty, which is a, a the game that Cyberpunk, the upcoming uh, um, CD Projekt Red game, is based on. And the behind the, the way that that game's combat worked especially if you're using the Friday night firefight rules was this absurd thing because there was this thing in tabletop game design at the time that was like, we want to simulate what a gunfight is like. We want to simulate combat, like the way it really happens. And no, like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to roll seven times to see if I hit someone in the hand or the, or the elbow. Like, I don't want to do that. But what Battletech kind of does is say, like, okay, well, we'll handle all the rolls. It's not that. It's like, we'll just, you hit fire and we'll roll. And the thing that you get on the other side, that isn't that it's realistic. It's that it's surprising. And having all those variables lets it be surprising in a way that XCOM 2 just hasn't been. Uh, and again, I love XCOM 2, but like that's just not a. It's not what it's going for. It's going for something a lot, a lot simpler. Or Into the Breach it plays like chess. It plays like a board game where you can look at it and be like, okay, here are the outcomes. Um, and so seeing BattleTech kind of um, rehabilitate this style of tabletop game and, and war game design is really interesting to me. Um, it makes me very curious about what comes next in a weird way. Um, So, so we'll see. We'll see. All right. We should probably take a quick break and then come back uh, with, with some more games talk and maybe some, some, some questions. Be right back. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. 
You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, we are back. Uh, and I just really briefly want to talk about Stardew uh, Valley's co-op. Has anyone here dug into that at all yet? I know, Rob, you were a big Stardew fan. Yeah, but I haven't done the co-op. Like, because for me, like, weirdly, it's not a thing I like. I want from the game because, like, my partner and I each had our own lives in Stardew, and comparing <laughs> notes on that was great. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure we want to go to Stardew together. Right. Oh. That's okay. I'll let you deal with your you life. Have you your know what? I was, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say something, but it's up to you and yours to work out what your situation whoa, is. You whoa, know what I'm well, saying? <laughs> What you were about to Whoa. say, like, well, uh, like any real, any real healthy couple any would obviously couple want would go to go to, to start together. Of course, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally get it. In fact, I, I kind of get it because it's giving me a weird. It's giving me a weird, not a weird vibe, but like so. Rob, you wrote about your unhealthy obsession with Stardew a few months ago, right? Yeah. Um, and I could feel that happening to me and or more importantly, my obsession with it or my anxiety around it was instead of being instead of becoming an obsession, it became a, kind of a, a halting mechanism. I couldn't play because I, I felt like I was failing to maximize. Um, I get that from a lot of games like this. Uh, and I really love it when a game takes some degree of control away from me. It's why I can fuck with Dwarf Fortress or, you know, games like RimWorld um, because there's a limit to what I can control to some degree, you know. I have to leave it up to the the in-game characters to do the a lot of the the um, the management or not the management of the actual execution. Whereas here with Stardew, I was always beating myself up for not spending my time the, the most efficient way I could, and so I was really hoping, and I, I think it does to some degree. Playing it with someone else has completely actually alleviated that anxiety. It's made it be a game that I can play because I'm not afraid of underperforming. Um, partially because I'm not playing on my own farm. I'm playing on my friend's farm. Uh, and that makes it a lot easier to just be like, yeah, I'm just helping out. You know, like I'm just going to go kill some monsters in the, in the, in the mines. I'm going to do some fishing. You know what? I'll spend all my, uh, my, uh, energy doing all of the watering today. And I'll just hang out in town and talk to some people. Um, and it's, it's such Shit, a relief. That does sound really good. It's such a relief to, <laughs> Rob, you can set how like you can set um like a money modifier so that you know if there's two people you could make it so crops sell for half as much so that you have to work just as hard as you did the originally or like me you could just leave it at regular and just like not have too much to worry about when it comes to money um or you still have something to worry about because like the backpack still costs the same for both of you you both still have to upgrade your your um your tools, right? But it does also allow for a bit of a specialization, right? It's like, oh, you know what? I'll work on my sword so that I can be the person who primarily, like the sword and the fishing rod. So I can pretty much be the person who fishes and the person who goes into the mines and clears stuff out. You work on the axe so that you can get us a bunch of wood and like can start crafting and blah, blah, blah. And that stuff has been really cool. What I will say is I'm also feeling a little more detached than I'd like to from the farm at this point. Um, partially because... 
it feels like there's not much to do except roll the clock at this point. Um, my hope is that when I get into the next season, it'll it'll start like clicking in better. Um, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like our farm in that way in the way that like playing Minecraft with someone can make I can feel like oh this is our house this is our you know elaborate convent we've built in the woods or whatever bullshit we've decided to get up to um, for whatever reason right now it's just kind of like I don't know, throw some seeds down put some water out there and and escape into the beautiful world of Stardew <clears throat> which isn't a problem because that game has a lot going on. Uh, but it's, it's, it is, it's a trade-off I'm happy to make, but I kind of had hoped it wouldn't be a trade-off. I was kind of hoping that I would both get the excitement around having my farm and also the reduction of anxiety around having to do everything perfectly, you know? But instead you just don't, you're just not as invested in the farm, period. Yeah, and maybe yeah. I'll get there. Um, on the other hand, the other thing that's nice is I don't have to give a fuck about some NPCs because mm. I'm not trying to be friends with everybody. Like, yeah, my friend can be friends with you. I don't need to deal with you, Pam, or whoever, you know? <laughs> Pam, uh, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Here is a rock I found. I'm not spending 400 gold on a beer for you. Also, hey, right. can we fucking check how expensive beer is in this town? Because 400 gold is too expensive for beer. Also, Is, in, is there know. gold in the beer? Is that, like, what's going on it's, here? Yeah, it's gold, it's gold, gold schlager, beer? actually. I see. I see. Okay. Rob, are you going to yell at me about? No, I was just going <laughs> to look. I just really resent and like I know. Look, Pam's been dealt a tough hand. I yeah, get it. I, I feel for but Pam. at the same time. Penny is doing an awful lot of emotional labor, and like <laughs> she is like carrying that family on her fucking shoulders. Uh-huh. And like, what are you, what are you doing, Pam? Like, what like how are you like how are you helping your daughter on the? On I'll tell this you one? what Pam is doing. Pam is asking for a beer for her birthday and then guilting me when I give her a rock instead. So. So that's what Pam is doing. Um, it's a cool game. It's nice to be in that world, is what, I, is what I'll say. It is like a really relaxing game. And so far, the like tech side of it has worked really, really, really well. Um, so there's that. You know, it's like I haven't had any problems trying to connect or anything like that. You know, uh, do you? So I guess one thing I'm curious about, though, is like. Ooh. The big the thing that really makes Stardew work is that. In the middle of this like idyllic pastoral life, yeah, you're also learning things about your neighbors and you're becoming a part of that community. And I'm wondering if shifting the focus of the co-op activity, does it leave less room for things like the little discoveries you make about the people you share this town with? So so far, my main playthrough I'm still of Stardew. I was further in, so I haven't learned anything new that I hadn't known before. Um, but what what I'll say is just like the fact that I don't need to care about everyone's birthday makes me actually a little more invested in in specific characters. Where I'm like, I'm just not trying to play the field, so to speak. Like, I'm gonna zero in on the handful of characters I actually give a fuck about and and work through them and not try to maximize. And that that actually does help me a lot in terms of caring about the town more than just caring about numbers going up. So, you know, so far so good. Um, there are characters who I didn't know were there or like new characters maybe or something. Like, I don't know. I keep running into people who I'm like, I don't remember. I don't remember Emily at all. Was Emily there from launch? Well, Emily was away. So, you know. Okay. I gotcha. <laughs> like the game. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, we should go to questions. <laughs> Unless, Rob, you have more to say about Stardew. No. I, I'm curious. I would love you to – here's an assignment. Play some Stardew multiplayer. <laughs> Tell me how it goes. 
I come um, back I in two you... weeks. Well, <laughs> my partner and I have split up. No. Uh, I think I was going the other way, which is like, well, my partner and I are opening a real farm by Waypoint. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta go. Um, all right, if there's nothing else, anybody else playing anything this week, or, or can we dip into the old question bucket? I think we could, we could dip. Let's do a dip. Uh, if you have questions, you can send them into gaming at vice.com. Uh, this one is a very important one. This is probably the most important question uh, we've ever had. Uh, and this one comes in from Ryan, who says, Hey, y'all, we've got a quick question for you. Eggs or beer? Thanks. Wait. Eggs. Eggs or beer? Eggs. What's Okay, can we unpack this a little bit? Yeah, please. Like, what's... what what? Just, like, in the moment? Like, I think you, it, someone walks up to you and says, eggs or beer? No, or is forever. it, am I choosing one or the I other? I think it's your choosing is one. one. Room, is, is, this, is this, like, snap, and then one is gone? Yeah, yeah I yes. think so. Oh, and, and I, I, mm. I want to be, I, let's, let's, let's keep it, I want no alibis. Like, I don't want any, any way for you to be like, well, eggs are really important in the ecosystem. Like, no, like, like that. This, yeah, is, oh, this is presuming filled. all of everything works out fine yeah, in terms yeah, of ecology. Yes, the world does not it's, fall apart. Right, exactly. But we don't. All no, it's birds just for don't you. just stop. It's just for you. Yeah, in fact, that's true. It's just for you. Good call. Good fix. Like you could develop an allergy to one or the other. That's a good way of framing it. it. Yeah, yeah, like a deathly allergy. Yes. Oh, I mean, that's no. Maybe that's too. That because then I'm gonna say, I'm going to say beer. Uh, I'm gonna say I'd rather have eggs because there's eggs are just in too many things. Well, and if it's a deathly allergy, I'm gonna fuck up and eat some shit that has eggs in it. No, and then this die. is. Like, I'm sorry, there is just no contest here, because the problem is, beer is great. You can't make, like, beer by itself cannot be turned into, like, delicious ice creams or delicious baking recipes. Yeah, that's why there's Um, no contest. I want to be clear, eggs by themselves cannot be turned into delicious ice cream either. That's a key ingredient. But yeah, yeah, it's it's, to be clear. Yeah, but it's a it's yes, it is a building block for so many like delicious things in this world. Beer is just beer, and I got hard liquor. I'm gonna be just fine. That's the thing. Yeah, see that that's that was where I fell, Rob. Was that yes, I love eggs, but I could also just live on whiskey for the rest of my life and like wouldn't blink. (laughs) Kirkland whiskey, no less. Replace eggs with whiskey is what you're saying. Whiskey omelets. Yeah. <laughs> Mixing a little buffalo and then we're talking. But now we're fucking talking. Yeah, I definitely am with you. I actually think this question wasn't hard enough. I think actually yeah. this one's easy. <laughs> so wait, wait, what would you change to make this a harder question? Uh, like mm. eggs or rice? Eggs or milk? Eggs or milk? Whoa. That one's hard. Yeah, I think I think it has to be something like because because it has to be of uh, kind. Yeah, it has to be of kind. Yeah. Like beer yeah. is like an extracurricular <laughs> activity for me. Like eggs right. is like a primary ingredient in like a huge amount of the meals that I have it, in the morning. It needs to literally be apples or oranges. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is yeah. I've always had like if thought. you ask me to choose like. Scotch or bourbon, then like I'm having a larger existential crisis of like which brown liquor <laughs> well, I'm landing on. Or if it's like pancakes ooh, or eggs, ooh, that's not this? hard because that's how, still eggs. How about this? Clear drinks or or colored drinks? Oh God, that fucks you because that's water. Water is clear is a big one. I was gonna ask you get to carve out an exception for water. <laughs> no, wait, does it, wait, what does that matter? Does that? Uh, so I mean that also drinks. I mean, so no, no, no. I'm saying is. Because you're saying clear drinks, so water can be involved in the colored drink. Yes, you could. You could. Well, yes, water could be inside of a color. Yes, so like whiskey, if that has water in it, that's okay. 
<laughs> but, right. but the final product, the thing that you put to your lips, either has mm-hmm. color in it, and also you can't just food color water. Like food coloring isn't enough. I drink or, a lot or, of water. Or, or wait, maybe drink- it is. Maybe it is, but that means you have to live the rest of your life carrying around food coloring to put in your water to drink. So, so here's like the other wizard. part of this, though. Do you mean like <laughs> in terms of light can go through it, like clear, as in like like Gatorade clear would be clear? clear. In, no, clear, Gatorade has color. Okay, I'm not but saying transparent milk versus milk has color. Right. I'm talking about vodka. I'm talking about water. Water. I'm talking about clear rum. I'm talking about Sprite. Tequila. Uh, tequila. There are some things in the middle. Ginger ale, I think, probably, I want to say, is colored. It's colored. Right? Yeah, no, it's gold. Like, um, seven, like seven Up, Sprite, that's clear. Seven bubbles Up, Sprite. Bubbles up, Pepsi that, Crystal. Those are still clear. Yeah, Pepsi Crystal. Exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, of God, course. No coffee? Wait, oh. coffee has oh. color. Yeah, that's yeah. right. No, I'm right. saying. Like, no, I'm, this I'm is not a contest. This. Like, get I'm sorry, rid of the clear ones. Water. Get rid of the clear ones. Like, he, <laughs> I, I was waffling, and then Danielle pointed out coffee, and then I realized <laughs> oh. coffee is fucked. good. Coffee is no, like, very good. No, it, like it's it's not even a contest. Like, I would put because just enough just juice fuck. into uh-huh. water that it would like take on a color, and I'd be like, great, yeah. now I'm good. So now I'm saying. Now I think that, the, that this wasn't hard enough. No, you can't. Mix. Mix. No, no, no. You can't mix. You can't water down anything. Wait, you can't take water that. juice. You can't. As a you ever made a fan, cocktail, unless, Austin? Like, what do yeah, you think is happening saying, there? You cannot. You can. Uh, the only way you can do it is by adding ice, and you can't like game it. You can only add in the amount of ice you would add today into that drink. Wait. Okay. So hold on. You can't over ice something. You can't add. Yeah. No. That's the. That's okay. The so let me. Like. Let me. Okay. So. For instance, I've got a soda stream at home. Yeah. A delicious thing to do is uh-huh. you take your you t- you take your soda water and you pour like a little limeade into it, okay? And you get a delicious yeah. like still like 90% water, but a little bit of limeade just like makes it just extra delicious and it's a special treat. Also imparts color. I think that you're that's saying an, that's I think that's water. That's banned. That's water. The thing you're describing oh. is water. You this is cu- really can- hard. Yeah. I only like ninety nine percent of the days in my life. I drink water and I drink coffee and I drink nothing else. In yeah, my totally life. same. I how how do you choose between those? Because that's what I have on my desk right now. Is I have a giant sixty four yep. ounce or thirty two ounce water bottle. Yep, and yeah. I have a, a an X Files mug full of brown coffee. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like I'm being called out here. Like, I feel like <laughs> this question sees through right. me. Here, here we go. We, you know what we need? Here's what we need. I'm going to find clear coffee is what we need. Does that I, exist? No, it doesn't. Clear coffee, the first colorless <laughs> coffee in the world. Oh no, it exists. I don't know what's that it, I trust it. Actually made it. Of? I wouldn't trust yeah. that. <laughs> what's it? Clear? No. It's creators. It's going to have that CLR, stuff that causes loose stools in it. I'm pro- sure. Probably. Probably. <laughs> You're right. Uh, this is the thing. Yeah. It's creators are meeting. This is from uh, BGR.com. And uh, they say, the clear coffee, which is sold under the somewhat confusing brand name of CLR space CFF, is completely oh colorless liquid sold in a clear bottle. The result is a drink that looks like water, but is actually a caffeinated beverage made with uh, uh, Arabica, Arabica, Arabica coffee beans. As the company describes it, there are no preservatives, stabilizers, sugars, or sweeteners, and it carries just a few calories per serving, just like regular coffee. But because it's clear, it won't stain your teeth. Its creators are remaining particularly tight-lipped about exactly how they managed to achieve mm-hmm. a completely clear coffee beverage. Hey, I want to. I want to list. I want to list uh, a, a, one of the questions from the fact on the website of this uh, clear coffee uh-huh. uh, company. What do people say about it? <clears throat> Answer: 
The most used word by our customers is unusual, which is <laughs> which we completely agree with. Ooh. Um, oh. They say here, quote, uh, uh, using methods that have never been used before and adding due to this combination of technology and high quality ingredients, a drink has been developed, which is unique in taste and flavor. Also, on this fact, which you can then share each of the answers to your preferred social media, includes oh, yeah, Facebook, good. Twitter, and Google+. So I don't trust this motherfucker. <laughs> I don't trust him. I don't know. This what are you doing with Google+, Plus on there? Article on Influencer.com uh, <laughs> seems oh, to make a pretty compelling case. Uh, the brothers were sick of the teeth stains that are associated with coffee. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Brush, man. Like <laughs> that's Yeah, that's like, it. Uh, Oh man, and also this clear coffee page has like the most dep- why did we create clear coffee? Because of the hectic lifestyle, we want to have a refreshing ready to drink coffee which doesn't stain our teeth. Like you're saying you work too much to brush your teeth. That's what you're saying. Brush your damn teeth. Yo, so I'm looking at a picture on uh a different website where that coffee does not look clear. No, it's not clear. I want to it, uh, it's, it's it does not look remotely It looks like very, it looks like watered down pee is what it looks like. Yeah, like I'm um, like in the pictures on their fucking Instagram. Yeah, it looks like cut like a glass of vodka. But in pictures that I'm seeing in the wild, it looks Real a pictures. little bit more like we fished this out of a pond. Yeah, oh, no. you know what we ha- you know what has to happen now, right? Oh, are we gonna get raw this water clear, clear coffee? coffee? <laughs> oh. It's 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 uh, uh thir- thir- well one uh, okay something to keep in consideration for how much like you know I probably have two and a half a cups of coffee a day that's probably roughly where I end up uh a oh four my pack God a four pack of this costs thirty dollars <laughs> oh my it God has six customer reviews at one and a half stars let's look mm. oh, I'm looking I gotta read these <laughs> one star if you like coffee then try something else a swallow <laughs> of this will make you hate your tongue. Oh my god. Brad Perry writes, made me sick, sent to lab for testing. Oh, Brad. One star. Oh. Oh. It will cause loose stools. I knew it. What? It's like Alestra. Remember the like fat substitute from the 1990s that potato chips had? Yeah. It was like one calorie potato chips or whatever, low fat potato chips, but they may cause loose stools and they had to put that on the label of like the chip bag. This is real. God. Erica Guarva writes, This product is a great conversation starter, but has nothing on taste. A cross between dot 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 watered down whiskey and coffee grounds. Oh. Also, is not actually clear, more the color of rainwater. So I actually think this is off the list. Yeah, it's off the list. We couldn't yeah. drink clear coffee, unfortunately. It's out. Oh, I would miss coffee so much. Yeah, I would no, miss I it so I c- much. I couldn't do it. I'd have to find a water substitute, I think. Yeah, but what is your water substitute? I don't know. Ice I tea. drink a lot of water. No, it can't be iced tea. You can't dr- I can't drink 32 ounces of iced tea. Water substitute. What do you do when you exercise? Yeah. Wait, okay, so hold on. Hear me out. Uh-huh. Yeah. What about an IV drip? Is that inbound? I just thought bounds? of that. I Are just you- thought of that. <laughs> But that's you hard to, like, if you're out on a run. Okay, like, like think of this. Well, it's hot. Danielle, it's summer. I don't have to you're worry about that. <laughs> Look, it you is every, rather... every person for themselves. We're less concerned about Danielle right now. We're more concerned <laughs> oh, about Rob. Oh, my God. <laughs> God. 
an, an IV bag is perfect for my lifestyle. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, I'm, I'm looking up uh, substitutes for, for water. Uh, chicken broth. Low-sodium chicken broth. That's not oh a substitute. Oh. <laughs> All right, keep going. Uh, eating a watermelon. <laughs> That okay. one, all right. Okay. You know, I mean, right. watermelon water, and it's delicious, and I drink it in the summer after yeah. training really, so. really hard. It's actually delicious. They just ground up a watermelon, and you just drink it, and yeah, it is I would, amazing. I could do that, and it would have that pink color, Problem. right? It, I guess it does. Maybe, I'm saying this just, is a product you can buy, and I do, because it's right. amazing. You would just get really heavily into, like, light juices, probably, right? right? It's a lot Wait, of sugar, though. no. Austin's not letting me have my, my form of light juice. That's because you make it. You can't make it. Or it has to be at least, it has to be like a thing where it can't be 90-10. It can't be basically water. So I can't have my delicious treat, but somebody else can have like basically crystal light and that's inbounds. That's that's okay in your eyes. I don't know if crystal, I guess crystal light confuses it. Maybe we have a rationing system where you're allowed like a water mixture in fact yeah where you're allowed like a like a, a water down oh, yeah, this or isn't like gonna a, feed a ne- negative stereotypes about leftists at all <laughs> <laughs> so what we need perhaps if we had some sort of bureaucracy tracking yeah if we had some sort of can i can i get some sort of uh committee together some <laughs> in charge of this that would be really ideal honestly uh, some sort of oversight committee, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just I can't find the word for what I'm looking like for. Like a water board. Like- okay. Well, that's um, <laughs> wow. I think we. I think we should punt on this question. Yeah. To, we should carry this over to Friday. Yeah. Okay. I think people need to write in. I think Please. we need to weigh our options. Um, consider this. Get back to us with some feedback, and I think we'll we'll bring it to a close on Friday's podcast. Okay. Is that true? Right. Sorry. Oh what? God. It's fine. I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna dip over to some other questions. This one comes in from Ben in Tasmania, who says, I recently noticed how much of my day to day language, mannerisms, and even thought patterns are influenced by the Waypoint crew. Sorry, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, some of these language <laughs> inserts have become pretty common, like using y'all when talking to my D&D group or exclaiming hell yeah whenever Denzel Washington nonchalantly does something rad in the equalizer. Hell yeah. So, <laughs> good. Some are less common, but arguably more impactful, like when I reference where the pee is stored or how, nope. someone, or how something amazingly also has feet. Uh, I'm sure all this waypoint speak will be my undoing when I start talking about my rough and sweeties feeties, but until then, I'd like to know what or who has influenced all of y'all's language patterns the most. Kind regards, Ben in Tasmania. They wouldn't have any, like, you pick something up from a specific friend or, like, a specific workplace. I just have a habit of doing that in general, yeah. uh, where, like, over the course of my life, I have, it's been, like, pointed out to me at, like, multiple occasions that... I will just pick up certain like words and mannerisms from people I'm spending a lot of time with, like mm-hmm. not just not not consciously doing that. Like just it's just a thing that has happened at various points, and then I'll look back and be like, "Why was I using that word?" Like, right. oh, right, like I was just around that person a lot. Like that's been something that I can trace back to, like being a teenager. There was this kid that was in our group a lot, and he had just like a very specific way of speaking, and I was hanging out with him like multiple times a week, you right. know, every week, and. All of a sudden, I was picking up on his words, and that's just been, like, a weird character trait um, of of mine. And, like, the weird other flip side of that is that when I try to eliminate a word that I'm – from my vocabulary, I end up often using it more often as I try uh, to escape it. Yeah, that's a real thing. 
How about uh, you and, and Rob, Danielle? Anything from you? I mean, for me, the the big one is like a, a bigger picture thing, which is like learning to drop my natural accent <laughs> over time. Like I, I was like made fun of for how strong my accent was in college. And so I sort of like got embarrassed and sort of tried to drop it and over enunciate my R's, which is, man, it's challenging when you talk like this for the first 18 years <laughs> of your life. Let me tell you. Right. Uh, but right. yeah, like... That was the thing. And then kind of embracing the fact that, like, having an accent is fine and, and not a bad thing. And don't listen to your shithead friends from college because they suck. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that, that's a main thing for sure. But I definitely notice, like, if I, you know, I, I watched a lot of Star Trek growing up. So I, I definitely sort of, uh, <laughs> this is really dorky, but, like, picked up on certain, ter- like, terms that they use a lot in Star Trek and, and the sort of like, Do you like way an of speaking and modes of speaking that professional, professional. people speak like uh, was definitely sort of like an early influence in my life, which is the nerdiest thing on earth. But true. Do you have an example of one of the Star Trek phrases you you used? It's more like the tone of speaking, like mm. very clipped, very precise language. You know, the way they, they kind of do techno babble is is like a good example. But it's also, you know, oh, the tachyon emissions or whatever bullshit, you know, kind yeah. of thing. But they always spoke so professionally and enunciated everything so well. And it was it's yeah, it's more of a manner of speaking than specific words. Although I, I definitely like would say engage for a while. That's real. That's okay. a real thing. <laughs> Great. I'm sorry to everyone. Rob, how about you? Uh, so there's a couple things. Like Patrick, to an almost uncomfortable degree for me, I am a... I just sort of try to blend into whatever scenario I am in. Uh-huh. Uh, and so this gets really prominent when I'm from Northwest Indiana. There is no strong regional accent to Northwest Indiana. You don't have the Chicago uh-huh. accent, but neither do you have like a sort of downstate Hoosier accent. Like You have a very neutral like you know plains accent um however if like for instance i was at a friend's wedding down in kentucky uh you know a few years ago like over the course of like a day or two down there i sound like a completely different person like I have, and what's weird is I lapse into it very naturally because this accent was literally like 10 miles south down the road. Like literally like you crossed a certain highway and people started sounding like this. I can't do it on command, but give me like a day immersed in like the central like United States or, you know, like, like Appalachia, Appalachia region. I will very quickly start losing my Northwest Indiana accent and start not quite it's not quite a drawl but it's just a lot of the mannerisms it's a like slightly slower more laid back uh expressive way of talking it's a bizarre thing and it's uncomfortable because i do it without any conscious effort i do not know i am doing it and so that's the sort of thing that can get you in trouble because it's like people know what you fucking sound like Mm-hmm. And so how long, before, like, how is this going to come across? Like a lot of times nobody notices. Um, but I always like worry people are going to think you're putting on a fucking accent to like make fun of them or something. Yeah. Like when people come into Boston and do like an exaggerated Boston accent and you kind of think like oh, a person going to get their asses kicked, uh, <laughs> that like, that's kind of my fear. And so I try to watch out for that, but I am powerless, uh, not to do that. And so, like, I mean, that's why, like, I'm the sort of person who, in no time at all, is saying things like sweetie speedies 
around the house and shit like that because like oh this is you know that's just how i blend into the scenery at waypoint like i you know this is i can't i cannot be spotted against social right your social camouflage uh yeah great love it i'm glad i'm glad for you um the uh i definitely have it in a bunch of different ways obviously i've talked about code switching before as being like a big part and it's like a big part of it is very much like paying close attention to to the ways i should talk to again yeah put my head down right and not not be the subject of of uh any attention in certain places but there's also just like the much more um low-key and not kind of racially tinged versions of this which is like working a giant bomb definitely meant i picked up a lot of Vinny and jeff mannerisms in that year um i definitely i a lot in my performance a lot of my like a lot of my playing something straight is just jeff's playing something straight uh like being the straight man in a room which is it's hard for me to do honestly um <laughs> but also uh i, I want to shout out my friend ali who is the producer on friends at the table and one song only um who for years has like just has phrases that worm worm their way into my fucking brain uh and like i end up saying them and like it comes across like it's an austin thing but like no it's it's my friend <laughs> ali on twitter who like you, none of y'all know who Allie is, but that's definitely her who started that, whatever that thing. I didn't start it, but like who I got it from. Um, I can't even name one of those things specifically, but there's definitely a number of things where I'll say it. And in my own mind, I'm saying it in my friend Allie's voice. But when people hear it, it's like, oh yeah, Austin came up with that. And it's like, no, nah, mm. it's hard to shout things out like that sometimes, you know? Um, I don't think anything else, but those are the big ones I'd say. Oh, fictional influences, uh, two things to my shame. Uh, there's a lot of Sorkinisms oh, like rattling around uh, my fucking no. brain. So for um, me, it's not Sorkinisms; it's not phrases. Yeah, the wire, the wire, it's phrases. The wire is definitely phrases and in jokes. Uh, same thing with like home movies. Tons of home movies. Oh yeah, like home movies is one of my favorite things. Uh, and so lots of like, lots of little reference. Like the only show that I will reference by just saying quotes from it in conversation, pretty much. Um, but with Sorkin. The worst thing is that in college, I was such a huge sports night fan mm-hmm. um, that, like, I molded my – the cadence of my conversation with my friend Art around the Casey two and leads. Dan. Casey and Dan, yeah. Uh, I wanted uh, to be Dan Rydell. Like, I just did. See, I wanted to be Casey, and I think that was, like, everything oh, no. wrong with, with college Austin. Yeah, Casey exactly. was Olbermann, man. I yeah, I'm aware. I'm aware. Oh. Casey and Austin in college, like I, it was a long time ago now, and things have changed. Uh, but I absolutely curate or cultivated that exact cadence of back and forth with my best friend Art. Um, and you know, we were incredibly good friends. And he was like, a, he like was the editor in chief of the college comedy magazine, the humor magazine for the campus, uh, and was one of the funniest people I knew. Was the funniest person I knew in college for sure. Um, and that meant. Uh, you know what? I knew Pilot also, formerly formerly Vice Vice's own Pilot Veru, but uh, and Pilot's extremely funny. Anyway, uh, Art and I very much just like fell into that rhythm, and like we had it for years and years. And you can still hear us if you listen to us on podcast or something like that. Art and I still occasionally fall into that back and forth. Um, I wish I hadn't gone out of my way to cultivate it because uh, it's a thing a monster would do, but it was still a really like. It was fun to have that sort of rapport with somebody, you know? Um, 
I'll say the weird thing about that is you can kind of turn your friendship into a performance when you mm. are striving for that sort of back and forth. Um, and thankfully, it didn't go that – you know, sometimes you want to be the two funny people in the room. You know, does that make sense? You mm-hmm. want to be the two people who, like, everyone else in the room is laughing at. Uh, and that works really well when it's time for that. And other times it is not time for that. And y'all need to shut the fuck up past Austin and Art. Uh, <laughs> so that's, a, that's, that's definitely for me. Uh, one more? Does y'all have time for one more, yeah. maybe? One, right. one more dip. This one comes in from Matt from Wisconsin, who says, I love open world games, especially at the beginning when you're opening up the world and you see this huge place to discover all the little hidden nooks and crannies in. That feeling of wonder and excitement about what is around the next corner, what's over that hill, etc., is unparalleled in gaming, in my opinion. From listening to you wax about Breath of the Wild, I know you feel that feeling, too. My issue comes in when I'm about halfway to three-fourths of the way through the game and have maxed out my skill tree already. I tend to be a completionist, uh, uh, and when I, and I want to get everything out of the game that they put into it, but that hurts me in the long run because I spend time exploring everything as, I, as I'm going and becoming overpowered and overleveled to the point where a lot of times I'm not learning any, I'm not learning experience anymore. My skill tree is maxed out. Anyway, I'm wondering if any of you have found any open world games that have uh, an extensive enough leveling system to provide worthwhile exploration towards the back half of the game thank you and keep up the great podcasting thank you uh best regards matt from wisconsin um that's very tough because that's how the pretty much uh, not, maybe not to a one but that's pretty much how open worlds are designed for players that uh you know they have all the extra stuff so that if you are a completionist you can right. see it but all the critical path stuff is tends to be fairly pared down in terms right. of okay all, all you need to do is this so that most people you know 80 percent of people whatever percentage actually finish a game i'm sure it's more like 20 percent yeah. they'll actually finish it so it's that's that may be a tough one to find i think Maybe it might be more worthwhile to find something that uh, scratches your itch for like, oh, these are weird, interesting things. It's weird little nooks and crannies than necessarily, oh, this is all critical path stuff. Or like this is all worth leveling up or like worth – is going to give me experience, experience I need or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I would say the the dream of like the game that has a big enough skill tree to to last you the length of play is is – not realistic for the reasons Danielle just said, or not not realistic, but like is uncommon for the reason that Danielle just said. But it's why I'm so drawn to games where that is not emphasized. Like mm. Breath of the Wild isn't a game where you get more skills as the game goes on, really, right? You get, you know, you learn more recipes, you get better equipment for sure, and you get um, your your gear can give you certain abilities. Uh, and there's lots to work on in terms of upgrading all of your gear and blah, blah, blah. There is a lot to dig into there. But, you know, you have all of your verbs basically by the time you leave the plateau. The plateau, yeah. Um, and that was really interesting going from that to um, – what were you just – we were just playing something else, or I was just playing – oh, God of War, actually, where God of War keeps giving you those tools to get through brambles, you know, unlock you know, weird mirror doors or whatever. And it felt like, uh, I don't – I just – just give me the stuff and let me do cool stuff with them. Like, I don't need the – that sort of Metroid style of, like, getting a new – or Zelda style, getting the new tool and going back to a, to a place you've been – didn't really do it for me coming off of Breath of the Wild, which just kind of said, all right, we're going to give you these six or seven tools, and then all through the game, you'll have them available, and you will give you challenges around them. It's part of why I liked that game so much. Um, the other thing there is just, like – 
Uh, I think that there are ways for games to give you progression mechanics separate from yourself in a weird way. So like with Metal Gear Solid 5, a game that is way too long for its own good, I was still working on my base long after I had the equipment I needed to like successfully complete missions. Um, and it was like cool to work on this side thing that was the base even though I was done or like in, in Skyrim or in Fallout where it's like, okay, I'm working on my, you know, Fallout 4, my settlement in, in, um, uh, in Skyrim, I have a house that I'm trying to like build some cool stuff through, or I have a mod where I'm trying to fill out a museum or something. And that those alternate things that I can work on that are separate, they're almost more like animal crossing things more than, more than traditional like skill trees increasing, um, made late game stuff still kind of useful for me or still like scratch the itch of, of capital P progress, you know? Yeah. Uh, Robert or Patrick, anything? I was just like, I think my relationship with open world games for these reasons always tends to end like um, the last thing that like Faye says to Don Draper in uh, like season three of Bad Men, where, where she's like, I hope she knows you only like the beginning of things. <laughs> uh, like that is like the problem is those games are all built around that promise. Right. And then, like, so few of them can actually follow through on. Because, like, it's this a world with a lot of content to fill. And eventually that wonder fades, and then you want the world to react and, and change and evolve to, in, in response to your actions. And that's that's really tough. I think for me, um, I think for me it is less about skill. Like, it's it's less about, like, mechanics changing and, and, and skills sort of continuing to unveil themselves throughout the game that's that's useful to have things that change your style of play throughout throughout a game but for me it's i want to feel like the world is evolving or changing as i'm playing like this isn't exactly an open world game but something that means a lot to me like something that counts for a lot for me is um remember the first arkham asylum where mm. over yeah, the course yeah. of that game, Arkham Asylum is a pretty big game. It's a pretty big place. But you traverse the same spaces again and again and again. But it doesn't get old. Because each time the architecture has been changed and adapted to whoever is occupying it. And that's actually the stuff I've lived for in sort of open world games or nonlinear games. Where it's like, ah, this is a familiar setting that yeah. I've seen a million times before. And now it feels different or hostile or, or changed to me. Uh, the ending of Dishonored 2 is really powerful for that reason. Like, you come back to Dunwall. Yeah. And, like, this is the first, this is the most you've seen of the city since the start of the game. Really, it's the most you've seen of it since the, the first Dishonored game in a lot of ways. And the ways it's changed, the ways it's become poisoned and corrupted, uh, is really powerful to see the familiar suddenly perverted and twisted. Um, and yeah, Death of the Outsider as well on that. Yeah, and a lot, I think a lot of open world games, it is a diorama, it is a snow globe. Uh, and you traverse it in different ways, you can do different things within it, you have more capacity within it, but it rarely feels to me like the world is changing. Um, and I kind of want that. That's such a great pull. I, I like the first Arkham game is one of those games that I really loved from end to end. I haven't revisited it at all. Um, but that notion of time and change, like 
being woven into the spaces and obviously into Batman himself and that very diehard, the suit is taking damage, Bruce is getting beat the fuck up. I almost just apologize for spoiling that Bruce Wayne is Batman a second ago. That almost just happened. That's where, that's where spoiler culture has taken us. Um, but no, like that stuff is really, was really, really cool. And I think that's a great alternative that I'd love to see more. I get why more open world games don't do it because, most open worlds are bigger in terms of breadth than than um, Arkham Asylum was, and so you'd have to do a lot of work to to make big visible change. But boy, would I love it! Uh, Patrick, anything anything come to mind for you in this space? Nope, <laughs> don't have a good answer. <laughs> you know what? I respect the honesty. You know, <laughs> um, I mean, like this is the thing we just talked a lot about with God of War, right? Was like uh, I basically got my feet under me within the first fifteen hours, right? And then that was my build. You know, um, I think maybe if I had been forced to do some of those Valkyrie fights along the way, it would have forced me to engage with that stuff. But I yeah, get I still want to go back and do, do some of yeah. that stuff. I have a, I have a, 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 you know, on the flip side of of this reader who was uh, sort of lamenting being sort of overpowered and then just running through the main stuff. My uh, a good friend of mine, like that's what he lives for. Like he's, uh, Assassin's Creed Origins. He has not. Well, I have to check in with him, but like as of like a, two weeks ago, he had not done a single one of the story missions beyond when the game opens up oh, the map wow. to you, and he just explored all the map, is doing like the side stuff and like filling out all the collectible things, and is like way well over max level, um, and has not touched a single one of the story things because for him, he enjoys the story but just kind of wants to plow through it at a certain point um and so he just does everything that the game will let you do surrounding it and then eventually goes to the story and just awesome through yeah that's cool too yeah, I've I've definitely had that experience with games. I think like the uh, Xenoblade games on Wii U and and uh, on Switch were definitely games where it's like I felt really rewarded when I went back to main story stuff after having over leveled through side content because not because the fighting was like a drag, but because it it did just genuinely feel like the work I'd put in had paid off. You know, also I think because the side content did keep up with me, and there was enough like higher level stuff to do so that the um, the downtime segments or like the, the main story segments where it wasn't hard anymore did just feel like um, like it, it wasn't all that over leveled shit. It wasn't just all, always I'm just stomping on everything. It was only in those story moments that I felt like that. And so that felt like a nice break, um, which reminds me, there's actually like a non turret sequence turret sequence in Battletech that is really good uh, where you you. You kind of – I'm not going to spoil the specifics, but I was a, a neat – you know, turret sequences in games happen when they are um, – as a way often to, like, let off steam, where it's like, oh, you just got through a really hard segment. Um, here is, like, you just sit behind this turret and just, like, mow people down for a minute. You know, you just are, like, completely safe, and you're going to feel really powerful. And it's kind of a stand-in as a metaphor for moments of just, like, really empowering the player for a moment or two, you know, for, for a couple of minutes. Um uh, obviously, there are turret sequences that don't feel like that, but but by and large, it's how those play out. Uh, and there's a version of that in BattleTech that was really surprising and fun. So look look for that. I'm curious to see what your take is when you get there, Rob. <laughs> um, all right, let's before we go, let's let's talk about our waypoints for the week. Any anyone want to recommend anything? Anyone have any any movies or TV shows or games that they want to shout out that people should check out? I have a quick one. Sure. I want to hear a quick. Uh, I played a game today. Uh, actually, free game on Steam. It came out last month. It's called Marie's Room. Mm. And it is a really cool little uh, short story kind of walking simulator. You explore uh, a person's room. I don't want to go too far into it. It is uh, uh, the two main characters are like 
two girls in high school and uh, it, it plays a little bit with time and sort of the idea of looking back on things and looking back on a time, et cetera, et cetera. Just really well done. Uh, you know, like an hour and a half long, maybe quicker than that. But, you know, I'm the kind of person who likes to look at everything. Uh, you know, you kind of look at objects, you examine objects, you figure out codes, that sort of thing. So the gameplay is pretty familiar, but I like the story and I thought it was a cool little thing. So awesome. Marie's Room. Marie's Room. Rad. Yeah. Patrick, Rob, anything you want to recommend? Uh, I'm actually going to recommend the show that we ended up started talking about. I had something else, but then uh, uh, Rob mentioned this before we were recording the podcast. But uh, the new HBO show, Barry, um, starring uh, uh, Bill uh, Hader, is uh, a wonderful little weird, dark comedy. It's kind of hard to describe it, like purposely sort of a shoes genre um, for the purposes of surprising you. But um, the... One of the things I love about it is the episodes are really short. They're like a tight 30 minutes. Like I am – this is partially a thing because of my limited time, partially a thing because I think the Netflixication of like allowing shows to just become longer and longer, not in service of anything, but that longer has been equated with prestige. There was a great piece. I think it was on Vulture a couple of weeks ago that was like – really taking down this whole notion that like oh if your show is 64 minutes long like that means it's even better and like i think just the the by virtue of the, the same way that like you can write as much as you want on the internet yeah uh, that doesn't mean that you're writing uh, uh, a great piece it just means maybe you wrote too much mm-hmm. um I, we often see this in uh you know tv's uh time limits were defined by commercials and, and blocks where before we had on-demand viewing and uh, I think things have kind of gone too far in the other direction and what I love about Barry is like it's extremely tight but it doesn't feel like you're not in that world you're in that world as long as that story needs to be told and uh, I, I like it both for um, what's happening in the story and also because I, I respect shows that can like work within restraint and turn that into a strength. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I got to echo this a little bit. Uh, Barry is it was a it was a show I was really skeptical of because the, the premise of it is a really depressed and repressed uh, hitman stumbles into a really shitty action acting class in Los Angeles while stalking <laughs> a target and it touches something in him. And he's like, maybe this like it, it's a way that he can feel. Uh, human. It's a way he can express himself. It's a way to actually get in touch with the feelings that he is denying or failing to process uh, in his daily life. And the thing I was sort of struggling with for a lot of the show is like, okay, but he's a killer. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's kind uh-huh. of like you can go the gross point blank route, and I love gross point blank. That Boy, is do a I love gross point blank. Wonderful movie, but like everyone he encounters in that movie never challenges uh, his uh, Martin Blank's assertion that like. If I show up at your door, you did something to bring me there. Barry is like, no, he is a killer. Like he is, he is straight up murdering people, and like he's bad. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And and the show doesn't like is is this? You know, when we're having the conversation about God of War, about like you know redemption quests and like making Mm -hmm. you know characters that were sort of intrinsically bad and like finding shades of gray. And like I, I think you know plots in general tend to go on the side of like turning bad things into you know morally gray or, or outright good and and i think barry pushes back on that in a pretty smart way that just uh, like constantly reminding you like nah like whatever this character says like he's bad and like <laughs> let's remind you of the fact that he is and that whatever moral quandaries he is articulating through his mouth is not uh you know punctuated by his actions and it's it's kind of, it's often it's actually refreshing to have a character that is just 
he's just a bad dude and like you should just learn that's just the story of of what this is about yeah the last right? two episodes have had like as jaded as i am i have found like there is violence in the last two episodes that is shocking and painful and affecting in ways that like i was completely unprepared for from the early episodes of the show uh but i think that's a really good point patrick this idea that like he actually is not a great character like he is he is a bad person i think something that i'm drawn to in shows like this or like bojack or uh like my favorite like millennial dark workplace comedy uh the party down is that the characters like are allowed to suffer and they do have like irreconcilable differences in what they want and what they value and both the comedy and the narrative is about like reconciling those tensions uh and dealing with them head on and recognizing the places where like they can't be tidally resolved like you can't wish them away mm. like as much as i love things like uh you know parks and rec or like brooklyn 99 a lot of those comedies are about like fundamentally everyone is a family everyone loves each other and the antagonists such as they are are always these ridiculous exaggerated external forces who are just there to be like douchebags for the sake of it uh, you know, various forms of, uh, like, Dean Winters uh, characters. <laughs> um, and that's fine. But something I guess I'm increasingly looking for in a lot of, in a lot of my comedy is sort of the, 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 the sort of thorn on the rose, the, the little sting that comedy can conceal. And, like, I mean, that's why BoJack is both so funny and also one of the, like, realest and saddest shows I've ever watched. Barry hits oh, that yeah. for me, so, like, and so does Party Down. Like, that's that's the kind of comedy I'm really drawn to. Cool. So it's two wrecks on Barry, it sounds like. Unless, Rob, you also have something no. else you'd like to... You'd like to no. Okay. Uh, I have a very important one this week. This Saturday is Eurovision. Eurovision 2018. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, Eurovision is, a, you know, the very important part of my life. Uh, I watch it every year with my friends. It's not so important that I pay attention to it for 364 other days of the year. I don't watch any of the lead-up stuff. I know that I could go listen to all the songs right now if I wanted to. But I prefer the surprise and the drama and the the theater of seeing uh, uh, the majority of the European countries come together this year in Lisbon, in, in Portugal, to perform very gaudy ballads and ridiculous <laughs> dance numbers and amazing laser light shows. Uh, it is not as much of a circus as it once was. There are a lot more like, hey, this sounds like it could be a James Bond single um, <laughs> than there used to be. And, you know, there kind of used to be a little bit more on the on the kind of folksy or like... The Father Ted versions the, yes, of these things. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or like the kind of more gimmicky, a little more comedy, a little more kind of um, burlesque uh, in terms of its... Everyone needs to read like the, the Anthony vibe. Lane piece on yes. Eurovision. Yes. <laughs> like Google Anthony Lane Eurovision. 100%. That is crucial. Um, but it is, I think it shows in, uh, in the States on Logo. You can find streams of it online. It is a blast to watch with some friends and a beer or two and maybe some chips and salsa. Just, you know, make a day out of it in general. Um, it is, it is a ridiculous, uh, operatic, like, nonsense 
day uh, that I really, really do enjoy. And there's always like some ridiculous act from some gigantic band with a guy with like a drum who looks like a gremlin. Like there's always some nonsense that happens. It's not on. It's not like part of just the competition. That's just like a bonus thing. I always have a really good time and then debating with my friends who I think should win. And then there's the politics of Eurovision where all the countries are voting across national political lines on top of voting because you don't just so everybody in Europe can vote on this right and if you're if you're you know uh, I believe I believe the British are still able to vote for Eurovision winners oh um, yeah I was gonna ask about that I'm actually. pretty sure that that is still, they are still part well, of Israel it. competes uh, in that too right like I mean I think they've Israel extended it pretty compete. far beyond the Eurozone yeah at this point yes um, I mean, like Russia is in it, right? And so, like, that's one of those ones, right? Is like when, when you know, you can you can see who is voting uh, against Russia on things, not necessarily because of the quality of performance, uh, but because of actions that the country took. Or you can see how old wounds between countries that you know maybe used to like between Ireland and and the UK, for instance, uh, shake out sometimes. Um, there, there's stuff there that is very interesting to watch and seeing the outliers and seeing the like the the groups that none of which necessarily are the sorts of music i would listen to on a daily basis but seeing them all together is just a blast so uh, i recommend people try to figure out how to watch at least a little bit of eurovision this saturday <laughs> all right i think that's gonna do it for us today uh, as always you can find me on twitter at austin underscore walker where can people find you danielle at danielle or i patrick how about you at patrick Lupic. uh how about you rob zachney at Rob Zachney. As always, you can follow uh, everybody here at waypointtwitter.com slash waypoint, facebook.com slash waypointvice. Uh, and you can uh, send us questions again to gamingadvice.com. Shoutouts to Bowen, as always, for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Um, we'll be back uh, on Friday for more Waypoint Radio. I don't know that we're going to do a bonus pod this week. I don't know if we have something in the can. We've been doing a lot of those recently, so we'll see. Uh, but but definitely look forward to us on Friday, where we'll talk more about whether or not we can drink clear or or liquids or brown liquids. Apparently, so <laughs> real stumper. Yeah, truly, truly. All right, what do we say to him, Danielle? Be good and be good at it. Pelicans. Sorry, inside. I was drinking. Okay, I was drinking <laughs> some coffee there. Peace. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.